Uh, well, hello. Um, welcome to Series 1, Episode 1 of The Haunted Picture Palace with Ben and Amelia. Hello, I'm uh, Amelia. Are you Ben? I am Ben. <laughs> nice. Um, this is a podcast where we will be discussing a series of extremely haunted films, one a week. And uh, we are starting with... We are starting with Roman Polanski's 1968 uh, film or adaptation of Rosemary's Baby, which is uh, based on the novel of the same name by Ira Levin and is a favourite of yours, I believe. It is. It's been my favourite for a long time, or certainly in my top ten greatest films of all time. Um, I'm one of these strange people where um, horror is the main thing that uh, calms and quells my anxiety. So I've seen this film more times than I care to think, and yet, on this watching of it, definitely found themes that I hadn't even touched on in the past. So it's a real, it's a grower and a shower, this one. Disgusting. And we, we probably should say, at this juncture that uh, as befits a horror film it contains some unpleasant and horrifying indeed uh, scenes and themes um, and was uh, directed of course by Roman Polanski a man who in the years following this had a rather uh, what am I trying to say history, <laughs> history, of, history sexual of sexual assault yes. and is currently still um, on the run from the American police having skipped bail in the late 70s yes. uh, after having been convicted of sexually assaulting a 14 year old girl um, we're of the opinion that you are still very much allowed to enjoy the film but um, bear that in mind and be aware that if you do watch this um, and listen to this or watch the film and listen to this um, there's quite graphic scenes of sexual assault on screen. So there's your warning. <laughs> Real theme. Mm. <laughs> so um, we'll start from the top. That opening theme is um, extra eerie and extra lullaby-esque because it is in fact sung by Mia Farrow, um, who is Rosemary. Uh, it's entitled Sleep Safe and Keep Warm, which is bloody sinister. Yeah. Um, written by Christoph Comida or Comida. And you had a fact about him. He was a fellow... Yeah, yes, it's Christopher Comida, who, like uh, Roman Polanski, was a Pole. And uh, they worked together a lot. Um, Comida did the music on Polanski's first film, Knife in the Water, which is great, by the way, if you get a chance. Uh, but also a couple of his uh, later films, including his chronologically most recent prior to this... Uh, the Fearless Vampire Killers in 1967. Yes. So, um, when you're being taken for a house viewing <laughs> and you see someone drilling out a peephole and some quite significant signs of struggle in tiling in the hallway... I'm sure do, it's fine. <laughs> do run. <laughs> do run. They didn't run. Um, they. It, it's The whole thing is unsettling without being unsettling at any point, right? That whole opening scene... And we see an extremely childlike Rosemary yes. plodding around. There's, She's not very graceful, and I think that's deliberate because she's supposed to be this young creature. I'm going to point this out here, and then probably once every 10 minutes. Mia Farrow is 21 years of age playing this <laughs> character. I'm just putting it out there. 21. You'll need that later. And this is, oh, sorry. This Go is on. all done on sets as well. The ex the external shots of them entering the building are filmed all filmed on location. Yeah. Uh, but as soon as you step inside and these scenes in the corridors, they're all done 
on sets, and they're all done on sets with extremely high walls, about ten feet tall. The uh, set walls, which is normal, which is normal, which is higher than normal, higher than they would normally be for a set like this, and it's done so you can get these shots. And it's already claustrophobic. Yes. As soon as you do that, as soon as you give the idea of scale in a set like that, I think that's partly what is so. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll talk a bit more a bit later about the specific design you know the reasoning behind a lot of the aesthetic of this film but um i'll talk about that a little bit later i wanted to look at the kind of mise-en-scene of that woman's house it's really hard to age her we walk in there into essentially somebody's home that looks like it's kind of just been left that's not in showroom quality that's yeah. someone got up in a hurry and there's a handwritten note that catches Rosemary's eye saying, I can no longer associate to myself in this beautiful script, which is truly terrifying uh, <laughs> in a way when you think it's an old lady's house. Yes. And and it's something, that's, it's there's a few things to do with this building that we'll come back to later that are never really sort of picked up on properly by the threads of the plot. But this is the first one that really gives us, a, well, these, are the, these two things are the first two things that give us a sense of unease with the state, the condition, the fabric of the building, and the state, the condition, the fabric of their apartment, specifically the way it's been left and the things that they find. There's those and there's also the dead plants, yes. the sort of dead herbury on the, uh, on the, all over the kitchen, which is a little suggestive of, of something's gone awry, something's not quite right here. Yeah. Um, then we have demon drawers. <laughs> demon drawers. <laughs> Uh, too heavy to move alone. So theories. Well, it's the the line um, that the um, the the house agent uh, says when he looks at it. He says uh, he says there's a closet behind that secretary. The secretary, the piece of furniture in front of the closet is referred to as a secretary, and I think here it's secretary in the sense of a keeper of secrets. Right. This nice. this this closet. Sure, it only contains some towels and a and a vacuum cleaner, although these are cleaning uh, things mm. that have been hidden away, but it is significant later on in the in the film. There's a, it's a secret that is being that is being kept that that door keeps, yes. if you like. I like that. I mean, I mean, yeah, foreshadowing for too heavy to move alone, um, because it does imply that several people pushed it. Yeah, you know, um, or it, that a, an extremely terrified old woman. That was uh, my did theory. I was much more possibly about immediately before falling into a coma. We're told that she's. Because um, Rosemary asks, you know, did um, mm. did she die in the house? All right, it's quite macabre, but again, <laughs> I suppose it's something suggested by the general decay. And 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 uh, Elisha Cook's um, house agent says, "Oh no, 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 nothing like that." You know, she just went into a coma mm. and didn't come out. And it's one of those things where it's like, "Oh well, that seems fine, but remember that, you know, hold on." Yeah, to that. I mean, yeah. And again, the pacing of this film is strange. We find out an awful lot of information about Rosemary and Guy. That's true. Um, yeah, they're both introduced here at the beginning. They are, and Rosemary is incredibly pragmatic. We are supposed to understand that she's taking everything in. She's being very sober. She's very she sees every detail yeah. and comments on every detail in a very intelligent and thoughtful way. Um, and it's admired in her friend Hutch, right? They go to sure. dinner and Hutch clearly dislikes Guy. And, <laughs> you know, they have... Yes, but yeah. I feel like the audience dislikes Guy as well because we're also... Guy, His the first thing we learn about Guy, if you'd like, is that he's a liar, right? Yeah. When they're, in, <laughs> they're entering the lobby of the building and uh, 
and the house agent says, "Oh, are you an act? Are you uh, a are you a doctor?" Mm. And he says, "Yes." And she and Rosemary laughs and says, "Oh no, he's you know, he's an actor. He's an actor. Yes, that was a lie." And when at the same and during the same conversation, um, Rosemary is asked, "Do you have children?" And she says, "We we're, we're trying. We want some." Yes. I can't remember the line exactly, but it's in, you know it is no, established it is like, yeah. that she wants children. Three. She wants three. <laughs> she particularly wants three. Mm. Um, awkward sex scene. Uh, lights off to make love on the floor. On I the mean, hard, cold floor. <laughs> nothing does it for me like opening a can of Sprite, immediately putting it down and awkwardly getting undressed on my back on wood. Really awkwardly as well. Like he seems to spend an age uh, sort of jerking himself out of his trousers, jerking his legs out of his trousers. Uh, yeah, yeah, it made that sound more sexy than it was. He it's, did. Uh, really... um, but it does have remnants or a kind of echo of the idea of like a pentagram painted on the floor in a 90s goth bedroom you know yeah. it's we are doing something here we're clearly in a a form of sacred space there is candlelight and there's no furniture it must be it must be something but i feel like it's also to show that they have a kind of bored intimacy yeah there's there's no it's very bloodless over yeah. there's there's chemistry the sexual chemistry between them is <laughs> is not there no. Um, Awkwardly. Yeah. Uh, then we meet Terry. Terry. Yes. I love Terry. Well, Terry's a, a, an interesting one because, um, don't you know, don't, I mean, goodness me, I hope you've watched this film. Or if you <laughs> listen to this, I hope you've watched it already. Uh, but, um, but don't get attached to Terry because she is not long for this earth. But when we meet her, um, one of the things I think is interesting is that uh, she says she's always mistaken for the actress uh, Victoria Vetri. And uh, and of course, you know, in real life, setting aside the veil of make believe, that is Victoria Vetri. Um, yeah, that's the actress playing yeah. Terry. Yeah. Um, which is um, sort of the second time, if you'd like, in the in the in the brief running time so far that we've had reference to actors and act pe- mm. and artificiality and things not being as they seem, but also the idea of showbiz that I will pick up on later on. Yeah, I mean. She has this lovely chat. I really enjoy this scene. It's got a lot to it and a lot about who, Ro- how Rosemary exists as a woman. And also, um, in keeping with a bit of this haunted theme, creepy basements, man. They are always <laughs> going to be a terrifying time. And this kind of lovely moment, immediate moment of, do you want to like be pals that come down and do washing together? One, I think it's kind of lost in time. It's something that's very like girls holding, their hand- holding each other's hands to go to the bathroom. Yeah. But it's also like... We're immediately close to Terry because she seems so sweet and that she's kind of gone. No, it's it's just a really human mo- yeah, yeah. moment in a film exactly. that has been... It's the first one, really, you know. But a huge contrast, and it shows again that Rosemary's a thoughtful person. We are not a crazy lady who is sort of wildly screaming at everybody and suspicious of everyone. She immediately trusts um, that Terry is who she says she is. Terry is an ex-addict. Terry is very open about it, or a recovering addict, rather. Yeah. She has this... She, here's a key that I really love. So, she talks briefly about Roman and Minnie, who we're going to meet shortly. Saying, "I thought they wanted me for a weird sex thing." Yeah, at right? first, at first, I thought it was some kind of sex thing. Mm. She says, "Yeah, it's it's just a really lovely uh, hint at that sinister thing we're talking about." It's there's nothing sinister about swingers, but there's something about being around <laughs> people that put keys in a bowl at parties where you know there's something 
but you're not sure if you're being groomed. We've all been there. Um, and I think also the fact that she's given that luck charm, right? By yeah. Them. yeah. And the luck charm is... introduction to this charm that we're is. going to see again. And it's European. Yeah. <laughs> Remember being <laughs> European? <laughs> oh. But yes, European has this lovely witchy... Um, connotation to it because it's european magic it's well older than our country we do not understand there are mysterious ways that come from europe and i think it assuages a lot of any other questions that you might have about like its age or its location or why it stinks but we'll talk about that Um, is it is it here or is it um, it's it's sort of soon after this but before we meet terry again that uh, we meet hutch Old, uh, that was previously, that was when they were eating dinner together, um, a hating guy. Previous landlord, yes, who seems, who's lovely. We Hutch love Hutch. is a real uh, force for good mm. in a film that doesn't have many of them. <laughs> but uh, but he he talks about the building that they're moving into, right? Mm. The building with the creepy basement, the building with the broken tiles on the floor and the very high ceilings, you know. And um, he reels off this <laughs> this litany of... Of sort of bad stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah, for want of a better term, you know, it's a really nice place you're moving into. Chock full of dead babies and sinister activity. Yeah, absolutely. well, he said there was a uh, in fifty nine a dead infant was found wrapped in newspaper. Um, in you know, I think in the basement. I think if I recall correctly, so yeah, you know, sort of where they are, which is something that I'll, I'll come back to. But we also, for the first time, are introduced to the idea of um, well, witches and witchcraft, yes. right? And um, the the, um, the deceased grand witch, Marcato, right? Mm, Stephen, yes. Um, a, a, a Bramford resident and reputed Satanist, <laughs> and it's just another thing to add to the the sort of the unease and the the slightly mm-hmm. off feeling about this building, which is meets its antithesis, if you'd like, in young Terry. You talked about we talked about um, how Terry's dressed. I don't know if you want to bring this up Yes, now I bloody love how Terry's dressed. And again it's directly in opposition to um, Rosemary who's quite demure but it's funny because we are in a time, and I'll, again the fashion side of things um, I'm very much a fan of in this film. The aesthetic is stunning. Um, but Terry's makeup and hair is exceptional we have a cheapy cheap wig essentially (laughs) hell of a weave we have some almost like discount bucket uh liz taylor stuff going (laughs) on with the eye makeup she's really overselling it and it is very much um i feel like they're doing it partly to disguise that she's an incredibly beautiful actress in irl right yes um playboy model i believe at the time yes Yes, and dressed to, you know, to show that. But also, like, she is meant to be in recovery, so has these kind of overhangs, and it's really beautifully put together. And again, in contrast to Little Miss Baby Doll, who's forever (laughs) nearly showing her vagina in things that are extremely short, but somehow also frumpy and also make her look incredibly fragile. And innocent. Innocent completely. She looks like a child. It's like you, you would see somebody at the beach in that, of any age and you wouldn't be like four you'd be like oh (laughs) that's practical and working and there you are plodding around almost barefoot all the time immediately following this scene we hear chanting through the wall we've established that the next that uh uh our heroes if you'd like um guy and rosemary live next door uh to the to the the cast events who are the nice old couple (laughs) who took in 
Terry. young Terry mm. off the streets. And, uh, and immediately after they meet her, and she says at first that it was some kind of weird sex thing, um, we hear some chanting coming through the wall, which, you know, sure is, sure is fine. We're also zooming in on some extreme, <laughs> extreme florals, um, <laughs> kind of migraine-worthy floral work and mixed patterns that just makes it so much more sinister. It's sort of like um, covering the smell of a dead body with a bunch of flowers, you know, or with a bit of... Um, what's it called a bit of uh, oust <laughs> just <laughs> yes for breeze um but very very sinister and a very deliberate move to sort of it's also barely audible in a way mm. it's sort of you could be mistaking that it could be something. nothing could be the radio mm. could be yeah you know how these old buildings are yeah could be anything and then <laughs> and then yeah you remember terry you like terry didn't we you? love terry yeah, yeah we love terry yeah well she Terry's dead. Terry's dead, and and actually yes, Terry's dead, and this is broken to uh, passers-by uh, by a very unsympathetic policeman. Yes, the who police says, are awful. Fairly much in one breath, uh, you better prepare yourself for a shock. Terry is dead, or she is. I don't think <laughs> they have de- they haven't got Terry's name yeah. uh, at this point. Uh, yeah, and this kind of attitude of everything that Rosemary tells Rosemary's obviously in mega shock. Yeah, well, she's just you know first friend that she's made. Immediately dies, yeah. but and I shouldn't laugh. But then we've already established that this is something I know very, very well. So I'm not trying to take it lightly. But Terry's definitely dead, and it's definitely oh, yes. not quite Rosemary's fault, but definitely could be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we see the charm, this European charm, soaked in blood. It's a very kind of graphic catch-up moment. You know, there's mm. a reason we don't see a lot of blood in this film. It is oh, yes. glowing, but it's a mega shock because we the last thing we saw was floral wallpaper so to have mm. it suddenly with this this actual corpse on the floor and flashing everywhere you know the the police sirens are around and then the police handling it so badly is the first time that we have this loss of trust in authority mm. um or this this disbelief at the behavior of people in authority um they don't seem shocked enough they just seem like oh it's another you know it's another sex worker or it's another addict that's topped herself there's no empathy sympathy for anybody there even it's the living a, it's a hard world that this film <laughs> yeah. exists in if you'd like yes but here comes these two absolute <laughs> crackers absolute classic people dressed essentially <laughs> as clowns um candy colored clown they call uh mr roman. mrs castavert yeah. oh, yes roman. <laughs> roman and minnie roman and minnie to to their friends as we will soon become and yeah it's we meet them immediately hard on the heels of the death of yeah. the of, 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 of the, the most sympathetic character yeah. uh, that we've met walking from the opposite direction it's almost as if they exaggeratedly couldn't have anything yeah they definitely definitely visibly came back after her death um they do consistently look at rosemary like they'd happily ingest her as well which you know (laughs) again once you've seen the film it makes sense but in the moment it just looks like they're so excited by the exuberance of youth that they just have to be close but i feel like you know that particularly mrs castavet is very very convincing in that moment Mm. you know she's very like um, this is a tragedy. You know, there's a particular kind of grandmother vibe. No, she looks genuinely uh, yeah. upset. Cue the nun dream. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we dream of nuns. Um, we've already kind of found out that Rosemary is a Catholic, of Catholic background, right? Yeah. Um, she had a brief chat with Hutch and she consistently has a kind of... 
it's very big eyed religiousness in a in a or religious religiosity yes. in a um storybook sense in like here is the good little girl you know there's a real um she's the archetype of of catholic young woman of this era yeah um and then we see this dream and it is an absolute i say dream it is a mega nightmare so <laughs> what she's seeing play out is a scene clearly from her own life and times in um nun boarding school school yeah catholic, catholic school. school and uh what she's it's it's a beautifully done thing actually and i think we've all i don't know about you i've definitely had dreams like this where my brain is hearing things in the conscious world and placing them into my dream yes through this kind of dodgy lip sync moment and it is really quite disturbing you can't quite make everything out it's not very clear but it seems like terry they they attempted to warn terry of what they were planning to do and either she killed herself or had to be gotten rid of um and this kind of i told you just to be clear they in this context Sorry, is yes. the is the cast events whose voices are presumably coming through the wall we already know you can hear them through we the wall we've been shown it and then yeah this is bleeding into her dream it's a kind of row between them going i kind of told you so yes. um i told you we shouldn't tell her yeah um so sinister oh yes Yes, and then the the nuns, I believe, are sort of boarding up a window in the in the dream. Is that they right? are, yeah. yes. There's, it's well, it's Rosemary sleep talking within her dream, saying things like, you know, I, along the lines of, I, I shouldn't have done that, or I shouldn't, you know, guilt, mm. lovely yes. Catholic, yeah, delicious lovely, lovely Catholic, Catholic guilt, guilt. yes, uh, <laughs> shining on through. Um, do you have more on that? It's it's a break in the flow of the film. Mm. It's it's a different because it, because it is it's very clearly a dream. It's filmed as a dream, but it's also, you know, we don't get to sort of dissolve into it. The camera, the filming style, just changes abruptly, and it is yeah. clear that we're that it's a dream, you know, and it's a, it's a foreboding dream, and it's a it's a tone, if you'd like, it's a mode of film that will come back. Yeah. Um, and uh, goodness me, it's unpleasant when it does. <laughs> that polka dot scarf, though, I honestly do have some serious life goals not with the satanism bit but um (laughs) certainly not this depiction of satanism but um definitely the clothes man every time mrs castavit came on the screen i mean among other characters but um, but me just going yes goals yes yes Mm. um that polka dot scarf is quite a winner and she's so cute roman's my hubby Oh, yes. He's my hubby. Yes. It's just so... She's so good at it. She's so manipulative. We get to see her be this kind of pushy um, somebody else's nan. She's extremely nosy as well. Comes in and wants to know how much how much yeah. she paid for, for the furniture. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, and I feel like she's a stereotype we don't really have in this country on the same level. But certainly at that time in... Where are they? New York? Yeah. You're gonna find one of them on every every other tower block, you know. And it's a it's a stereotype of of an extremely non-threatening yeah. presence. I mean, annoying. Goodness me, you know. No, yeah, she no, wouldn't get through the door. N- nosy, <laughs> yes, you know. Um, possibly rude a lot of the time. I imagine, you know. I guess, but it does feel like somebody where their response to that, if you were upset or you were, um, they'd be mortified if you were actually genuinely upset. By yes. That. Um, and I think, well, normally they would when they're not chanting and <laughs> killing, <laughs> killing people. <sighs> you know, she she stakes her claim. She kind of demands dinner. And it's it's nice. It does feel like, as I say, someone else is nan, that kind of 
um you don't want to say no to and obviously again catholicism respect your elders right yeah so we're witnessing someone that's used to old people getting their way and having old people but, you know <laughs> we're used to respecting the elderly and and having time for them or making time for them uh yes there we go guy comes back from work and um is immediately presented with a sandwich and a beer by a nearly barefooted model housewife. <laughs> it's funny as well because, and again, because they've made her look so childlike and again with those absolutely massive baby doll things and all these loose-fitting, big, big, big clothes, um, it's high fashion for the time, but it makes her look tiny, fragile. And when you think again that she's a sort of, not brand newly married, but definitely young married woman um, in... 1968 1968 put a lot of work in to making that yes but what I, I don't know why <laughs> <laughs> um but what i'm thinking there with with that point was that it she's she's doing that thing that very young people do where they do an impression of what a couple probably looks like you know they yeah. haven't fully lived it yet so they're like what do men like i read in that magazine this one time in my 60s magazine that men like a beer and a sandwich and you should feed them before you give them bad news oh, yes. and you should you know this kind of um very old school trad stuff again raised traditionally but then obviously they have this little exchange guy and rosemary mm-hmm. that just make him look even more like a wanker <laughs> Like they, they've already cemented his wanker status and yet here he is being even worse and their dynamic of her pouting and this kind of um, playing into it with each other is A, disgusting, but, but B, um, is lovely foreshadowing for some of the ways they will manipulate each other later. Yes. Um, but they, uh, but yeah, they're manipulating each other straight off. Like they, yeah. they rever- in a very short argument, they reverse roles. Yes. Right. So initially, it is Guy who is unwilling to, to go to the Castafets for dinner, yep. and then, uh, then, then as he seems to sort of soften to that, then suddenly Rosemary is insistent that he should not go. When I'm trying to make a good impression on the neighbours, and the the elderly neighbours have invited me around for dinner, do you having know just been sort of bereaved as well, or close to bereaved, yeah, given yeah. that this was their li- live-in companion in some way, one assumes. Do you know what I like window. to wear? What do you like to wear? My nun costume. Yeah. <laughs> yes. My at-home nun costume that I've subconsciously bought because I like to look like a nun. Yes. Um, it's Catholicism again, and I was speaking to a friend earlier today about this film because it's been on my mind. And the the commentary on religion throughout it is really, really loud. Uh, all oh, yes. the way through. Madly, madly loud. And this moment where she's meeting essentially... Um, the devil personified in in a form, you know well, these, these yes, a, messengers of the devil. Yes, messengers of the devil. Obviously, we will meet the devil himself. Yeah, true. But later do on. we? But do, you well, know. do well. <laughs> but if, you know, it's certainly not Mister Castavets. But then he appears to be a simply a well-travelled old gentleman. But yeah, so. and you know, and when I'm wearing my best nun outfit, I like to um, 
eat tough and unidentifiable meat. Mmm, delicious, um, unidentifiable meat. That ca- that uh, cocktail they make is a real thing, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, the blush, the something blush. Vodka blush. Vodka blush. It looks yes. flipping horrible. Um, <laughs> and I have to say here that Guy eats like a horrible nightmare. He eats cake in a way that looks like he's never had a mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> I hate him. He is, he is just unsympathetic like all the way through particularly mm. well guy yeah he, i don't like him <laughs> <laughs> cool sorry but uh, you know but there it is here's our film fact oh yes film fact um, i've got a, actually film fact given that we're talking we've been talking a lot about costumes and we'll yep. continue to we should probably credit anthea silbert mm. was the costume designer on christmas baby and it was her second uh, film Yes, um, I did find in an article some good information on that. So let me just find it. So it's um, an article from the from the online publication An Other um, <laughs> by Olivia Singer from 2015. There was this moment from Anthea Silbert. She's yeah, King Kong Chinatown is Ch- yeah, Silbert. Chinatown yeah. of course is um, Polanski again. So six yeah. years later, you got her back to work on that, and she was uh, she was nominated for an Oscar for Chinatown. Oh, nice. Polanski's brief to her basically was, um, and it, this is a quote, let's make them think we're doing a Doris Day movie, which I love because it's such a I'm going to mess with him thing. Um, he didn't want anything that she picked for this film to seem sinister mm. um, so that the actions that were happening would be more shocking. Everything felt so mundane. The muted pastels at first and were very light and very white. Then we're going into this, and again, I I will keep picking up on the fashion element because it's the bit that I'm weirdly that I love most about the film. Um, but certainly, the thematic changing of her outfit is really really perfect. It's it's this youthquake Mary Quant business that mm. where the skirts are extremely short, but they're not shocking on her. They're not the they are the mini. No, dress. but she the... and she but she doesn't. There's there's almost nothing self conscious about her when she's wearing no. these things. I mean, also personally responsible for the absolute outbreak of Peter Pan collars. Like, fight yeah. me, fight <laughs> me if that's not true. But wearing them on and off set, you know, that that Peter Pan thing of the removable collar, which I think are making a comeback, and it's it's a terrible time for anyone with breasts. But like, if you're fine, <laughs> if you're pretty flat, you're you're absolutely rolling. Um, yeah, so I, I will, as I say, I will keep coming back to this um, with costuming. Um, just keep a beady eye out for it because it's quite great. But and that Doris Day movie point, if you'd like, is something is something to bear in mind with this dinner party, I suppose. Dinner party with the unidentifiable meat and the vodka blush that uh, that Roman sort of carelessly spills on the carpet, and which um, and then Minnie sort of goes carpet and then sort of kneels down and scrubs at it, and it is all. It's one of the film's many sort of comedic beats, right? There's yeah. Uh, they are uh, almost all the old people, but, but certainly the cast of it's here are sort of overplayed a little bit. They are stereo- stereotypes of yeah. like sort of old people. And it's not um, a Razorhead style Lynch, but it has a Lynchian <laughs> vibe to it. Yeah. Certainly Twin Peaksy characters, like he clearly has seen this and liked it, you know. Um, and again, fashion wise, Mrs. Castavet permanently, like with that makeup, looks like the Lord of Misrule. She looks like a jester. She looks <laughs> yeah. like she's wearing a complete mask um mr castavet dresses like the candy man you know he's he's not the one with a hook that appears in a mirror but um <laughs> <laughs> the other, the the other, other one. one you know again the candy colored clown mm. um 
there was one more thing about Mrs. Castavet. She does dress, she is dressed younger than she actually is. So we're pitching her at what, about mid-60s? Yeah, I guess. Um, she's dressed like a, her 40-year-old self. You know, often there'll be like tanning t-shirts and stuff from holidays that she's been on. And yeah. none of it is kind of, um, it doesn't even go with the decor of her home. Like the decor <laughs> like the no. decor of her home should be a hell of a lot chintzier, a lot That's more true. tacky. And yeah, what yeah. it is is a lot of dark wood and a lot of stuff from their travels. Yes, because one of the things we're told is, uh, name a place, I've been there. Exactly, yeah. Name a place, I've been there. Oh, so creepy. Like, again, so cre- again it, it is sort of creepy, but there's nothing... You know, there's, if you were to write it all down, no, it there's nothing fun. here that is even out of the ordinary. There are sort of prosperous older couple who've yep. travelled a lot, no children. So, you know, I think Rosemary says at one point, I think she's lonely. You know, yes, you know, exactly. I think she's lonely. There's there's a nice conversation that happens uh, in the kitchen between... We find out a lot about both characters with Rosemary and mm. Minnie in the kitchen. And, of course, in that traditional way, the men have buggered off to have cigars in the drawing room and talk about... <laughs> Away from the women. Yeah, and talk about impregnating your wife with the devil's spawn. Presumably. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, think who, it's about a bargain. We who talked hasn't, about this. Who hasn't had these conversations? <laughs> but we talked about the idea that... Um, uh, Mr. Castavet has offered Guy some something, some kind of bargain because when we do come back into the room to look at them, Guy looks sick, and unless he's a little like had a few too many cigars, he looks like he feels sick. Yeah, I um, mean over and above what eating that mystery steak would do to you. <laughs> yes, and then we are looking at that unbelievably painful interruption scene where Guy has bounded off like a little puppy to find out more about uh, the demon seed and where to find one. And But also that the, the cast this is where the cast of it, Mr. Castavit particularly is buttering him up, right? Yes. This is where This is the very first time that we see actual cult behaviour. So the building of the, the building of a cult leader and the building and the making of um, that relationship that separates you from the people that you care about in order to fully brainwash you, for example. And again, that's not to say like all cults are brainwashing, but when you look at the real biggins, the real nasties, you're looking at that um, divide and conquer, right? You you separate them sure. from everybody that they love, everybody that would care for them, everybody that would be their reality check, and then begin to do this, you are the most special person we've ever met thing yeah. in order to stroke the ego enough to get them to drink the drink the punch rosemary again showing how perceptive and smart she is in that scene by the way so they come home they're having a laugh what was that meat lol 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 yes and again she's just full of this kind of really insightful observations but then stunning stunning wool skirt that is a beautiful (laughs) object and i've gone on about it so ben's already laughing at me but it is an incredibly beautiful piece of clothing and it's this kind of um i mean if you've ever worn a wool skirt it is lining or no it's not comfortable but here's what she's lounging in you know she's lounging in probably about two hundred dollars worth of skirt at the time oh yeah and this lovely turtleneck she looks very chic we're going to have a record on sitting on the new sofa i believe which has already sitting. been admired by mrs Castavet when yeah. she came around earlier. but it's we we get to see her existing in this space that they've just they've just made yeah she also looks way more grown up, which does make me mm. wonder if she is playing the child a little bit around Guy, because maybe that's the dynamic that works best for her, or he knows she knows he likes sure. it. And then, you know, she has this grown-up moment where we're reading some book, probably about plant care or something equally early, you know, late <laughs> 60s, early 70s. 
And uh, in they come, the nightmare people, here to ruin <laughs> the day of every introvert everywhere. And she even lies. Now, Rosemary's not the Oh, that's best true. At lying. Yes. Um, but she does lie. And it's something that they've incited in her. They have created sin within this pure creature already. And there is a trace of red in that skirt that's like, whoa. Steady, devil's nearly on you. Oh yes, because the reason that she is sitting there reading on her own is because a guy has gone next door yes. to sup with the devil, yeah, um, and hear more of um, uh, old Mister Castavitz's actor stories. Exactly. So, or you know, well, or so, or so he claims. Yeah, and then we are left with a very, a very beautiful. Um, moment of attempting to lie and saying like well i've got my period which should make most normal mortals go oh off i trot then you must feel terrible but no it makes uh lara louise campus christmas lara louise sit on your book and uh, begin to aggressively and i've never seen such manic knitting what i love about the next scene and i know i've talked a lot i will let you know it's all right we do not make eye contact when we randomly have our um the necklace that we gave our dead charge in our handbag oh yes that we last saw covered in blood on the sidewalk yeah we don't make eye contact but we do hand it over to rosemary as if it's the most casual thing in the world we say it's 300 years old it's european and it's tannis root tannis root Mm. yes not a real thing well yes no (laughs) no in a book that we find later it's called like the devil's pepper and it has all these lovely you know and it is very beautifully put in it does feel like it has a real mythology around it but there isn't even a comparative um herb in existence which i think is why an author would it i mean this is just me guessing but i wonder if that's why an author would feel more comfortable using something that doesn't exist so that you don't just get a load of people um either over farming a strange (laughs) fungus yes or trying to recreate this strange stuff at home. I think if you create a herb that, that they can't really get hold of, you've got less risk of strange copycat murders. This is the last time that we see Guy kind. So just after his discussions, his creepy, creepy discussions with the elderly next door neighbour man, he gets an incredibly coincidental phone call from someone who got the part that he wanted we kind of brushed over that but there was a part that he wanted um he, yes, play. he is an actor he's uh, an actor. he's been in a couple of uh, he's in a commercial that's airing at yes. the moment because we have a, a lovely scene fairly early on where um uh, rosemary rushes over to the television to watch guy get on a motorbike and say oh it's a good motorbike <laughs> but yes he's, he's, he's after a particular part mm-hmm. that went to mr baumgartner mr donald baumgartner yes mr donald baumgartner and uh is incredibly kind and actually very still and very um, grace has a lot of grace um, about receiving this part in the worst possible way but also like receiving the bad news that his colleague if you like has in fact been blinded Mm. become blind um we're not going to question that apparently but (laughs) hell of a way to get the part he says so you wouldn't i mean you know you wouldn't if someone suddenly went blind you you wouldn't wouldn't be like how well well i suppose you might be a how but you wouldn't (laughs) I don't know, question it sounds a bit like, are you sure you're blind? <laughs> you know? It's not the sort of news that invites much probing, I would have said. It's definitely a how. It's definitely a how yeah. moment, and he knows how, so he yeah. doesn't ask. Well, that's true. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Do you know how I celebrate getting the part because my colleague, actor friend, went blind? Tell me. I make a baby. Oh, yeah. Um, let's make a baby. He how also, re- I believe, he apologises for his 
behaviour, does he not? He does. He says he's been very stressed about work and that he's definitely taken it out on her and that he's a bum and that he should just leave. Oh, no, that's just in my head. <laughs> um, but I believe there are roses, which is the universal symbol for an unimaginative man who's made a mistake. And Brutal. Um, and then, yes, we have... Um, some very beautiful matches lighting that passionate fire that they can i don't know awkwardly get naked in yeah, front their, of their actual bang. fire as well not a not a like not the passionate fire in their hearts no 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 just very fire beautiful in their, actual uh, light. in their apartment um yeah. and that trouser suit though <laughs> we're going to talk about that because they've oversized it again and let's be real rosemary has a cracking figure but here it is draped in this ridiculous red ensemble and it's lovely uh, her makeup's incredibly good. Um, very beautiful, very seductive, very not quite her. And it feels again like she started wearing a mask to match his, right? She's now like, well, if you need me to be a little bit sexy so that we can make a baby, I guess I can do that, you know? <laughs> um, but this red is where we're like, oh, we are in full devil territory. We look fully like a scene from Bedazzled here. Yes, Liz well, Hurley yes. reference, yes. Well, I mean, but the... <laughs> Um, the original Bedazzled is just a year before this, I think, oh, of or, or is roughly contemporary to it. Um, yeah, she did right. Of course. So the, yes, and uh, this beautiful manifestation attempt. Also, just putting it in there. How is she twenty one? Look at her responses. <laughs> look at the way she moves. She's at least thirty two, but you know, <laughs> no, apparently still twenty one. Yeah, it just it looks like a tiny little scene from one of those uh, 20s cartoons, 30s cartoons rather, where everybody's sort of bouncing. The Fleischer Studios. Absolutely. And where, yes, everything everything in frame moves. Exactly. And, the and she, that's what that's the effect that that jumpsuit has in, in the context of that fire. It looks like one of those scenes, but like they've drawn a woman of hell. Right. Right. Ooh. And then interruption, of course, from... Mrs. Castabet. Yes, as you know, as is already becoming common in this house. The fact that they've not been there for very long, yeah. and and again, that is where uh, Rosemary's sitting at the table, sort of. She starts praying. Praying, she yes, praying. exactly. Uh, praying that uh, Mrs. Castabet will go away. Well, praying that he doesn't let her in. Yes, she's sort of praying for Guy to to do that, rather than you know, don't come in. It's more like don't let her in. Um, Thank God she bought mouse. <laughs> yeah, chocolate mouse. Like I'm not going to do. I shouldn't have tried to do the voice, and I won't again. Uh, but yes, chocolate delicious chocolate mouse. mouse. Um, I didn't think he could eat anything worse than cake, but he can. It's a chocolate mouse. <laughs> well, you know, it's a. He's a talented actor. Who eats that like that though? There's something about, and I know. Fair enough. I've got misphonia, right? But the sound of the spoon to the mouth to the side of the 70s, 60s, 70s cup to the this is just so viscerally gross. And I don't know how he knew not to eat hers. No, I don't but know. We have another manipulative exchange between the two of them. Um, and he is far too forceful. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Well, because you know, they both tuck in. But Rosemary detects a sort of chalky undertaste. Chalky undertaste to it, which isn't very nice. It's also, I mean, it's strange if you think about it. It's strange that she just happened to Mrs. Um, Mrs. Castavitz just happened to turn up with dessert that they didn't have mm. immediately when they'd finished their dinner. But you know, but uh, but yeah, but Guy for some reason, for some reason, is insistent that she doesn't her food doesn't have a chalky aftertaste and that she should just eat it all up anyway. Yes. Um, her response is not dissimilar to mine in one way, in that 
no way in hell I would have continued to eat it. Um, <laughs> but dissimilar to me in that he would have been wearing it uh, had he spoken like that to me. Just all over his penis, truly, and then left there. But, you know, she decides to um, hide it, this kind of... It does look like poo. She's Once being devious been again, the, though, yeah, isn't she? It's another, it's, it's another lie, and she sends him away from the table. Yeah. And then when he's not looking, she spoons it all into her napkin. But there's something really... Again, you said napkin, but there's something really nappy about it. Yes. When she's when she's scraping it to put it in the washer, there's this real, like, I don't know, it's extra filthy. There's something. Yeah, but it's also it, it. it's a prefiguring as well of an infant, right? Yeah. You're scraping a nappy clean and and washing Ugh. it. And, yeah. Oh, this is delightful. I know. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe we should have done a podcast where we watched really nice films. Oh yeah, good point. Uh, so here, that's lovely. That bit's really nice. <laughs> um. Here's your warning. This has got some really horrible stuff in it, this next bit. We're in supposedly a dream sequence that begins with, we have to make a baby after Rosemary has collapsed in her own hallway. Yeah, but she's not feeling very well. No, yeah. and, and she's and, collapsed and in her own hallway says, oh, post-mouse. She shouldn't have drank all of that. Well, she, had the, she had some champagne. She did. She had champagne and beer. And beer. So, yes, she, she goes to bed and dreams of dreams of being on dress, among other things. She dreams she's on a yacht. Yes. And is, is being undressed. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, to me, one of the most distressing parts of this scene is the removal of her wedding ring, right? It's a holy vow. It's a vow made before God. And they take it off her. I assume that's Guy taking it off her in it with a sense of guilt rather than for ceremonial sure. purposes. But um, it's but super it could sad. Be. It could, could be, be It could because the conception of like witchcraft in here is particularly sort of devil yeah. satan based it's it is particularly christian in its outlook and its view i think mm. we'll talk about this more but it, so it could be that the wedding ring is is holy it's sacred right so it could have a protective it could function as a charm yes that would stop her being impregnated by the devil yes uh we are taken down below the building there is this beautiful um, inferno next to her as she walks in this dreamlike state and sometimes it's a party on a boat and sometimes it is actually where she is and it gives you this feeling of like what how bad would this have been had she eaten all of the mouse oh yeah um although that is hinted at a bit later there's these uh, erotic paintings, uh, you know. Yes, and she's close up to the Sistine Chapel ceiling as well, uh, yes. or you know, with uh, you know the famous image which uh, of uh, of God and Adam sort of touching mm-hmm. touching fingers. It's it's a sort of it's a birth. It's a creation of life yep. moment. But the way the camera is moving and and sort of really intrusive and handheld and close up I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm doing I'm demonstrating in a way that <laughs> is not apparent on audio uh, is it it suggests that it's there's something is wrong if they, if they are making a baby here they're not it's there's something very wrong yes with it um guy saying she sees is also very distressing so he's not actually guilty he's just guilty in case he gets caught because he's a bastard yeah he doesn't um, seem that he doesn't seem to have very much emotion about what's happening to his wife. No, but he does stay hidden behind Mrs. Castavet, who's definitely there, and yes. basically makes reference to she's basically a corpse, obviously not knowing that she binned some. Mm. But uh, then we have that scene that was cut. Yes, the uh, oh, this uh, obviously was rather controversial with the censors, but the only thing that the British uh, censors wanted rid of, John Trevelyan, the uh, 
chief censor at the time, he wanted a 50, he wanted and got a 15 second cut in this scene where Rosemary's legs are being bound by uh, another onlooker because there's mm-hmm. lots of lots of people present and uh, and the, the the onlooker says you know we'd better better secure your legs in case of uh, convulsions and uh, and Rosemary sort of agrees and then we get a POV shot from Rosemary of her legs being bound her legs are being bound apart and uh, this was uh, this was too much for Trevelyan and the board of censors um, and uh, and it was not the Satanism so much as the suggestion of, of bondage, of kinky sex. Right? A quote from the uh, the Guardian, February of uh, 1969, and he says he says black magic is not an insignificant thing, and it is connected with perverted sex. Mm. Uh, that was what I had to go. As far as I'm aware, there may have been discussions about some of the other unpleasant content, mm-hmm. uh, but it was that particularly which um, caused a problem. With, just, the, with the census, it was, uh, and it it was passed with the cut with an X, but then later was reinstated. It was last classified in two thousand and one, and it retains an eighteen certificate. Then we have well, interspersed through all this, we have Rosemary um, essentially being raped by the devil. We're never a hundred percent sure because obviously there's a lot of this floating between people who are really there, people who are not there, and like with this sudden appearance of the Pope in her dream. Yes, well, it's the appearance of the Pope, but it's not the real Pope. So the real Pope is in town. It's mentioned a few times. He's yes. giving a, a blessing at Yankee Stadium, yes. I believe. Yes, um, And it, his appearance here, the Pope's appearance here, puts me in mind of another thing that Roman says at the dinner hmm. earlier on, you know, um, when he says it's all showbiz. Yes, it's all you know, showbiz. It's all showbiz, and he says sorry of that. And this is another point about Rosemary being Catholic, because he's we see that they've offended her mm. slightly with this talk, but he says, you know, it's, it's all, it's all, it's all razzmatazz. It's all showbiz. It's all make believe. The swapping of roles within um, her dreams. We're not really certain if this is truly the devil, or if it's the devil working through Guy, or if there's some other way that they've managed to do it. Maybe it's Mister Castavet. You never know. But uh, Anton Levey, uh, the founder of the Church of Satan in America, claimed to have been involved in this scene right. it, but that was not true he did claim a lot of things he claimed a lot of things <laughs> but it, I, I think the fact of the claim is interesting enough yes um because he certainly viewed the film as a recruitment opportunity for his church when it yes, when it came out of course and i mean yeah it's particularly nasty with the um her yeah being her face being covered is is a particularly nasty detail where it's all in this dreamlike state but this isn't a dream this is really happening yeah. is uh, an iconic line from the film that i quote <laughs> more than more than most um now looking at the context of where that quote comes from perhaps i shouldn't but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this isn't a dream this is really happening is is amazing happy to wake up happy to wake up i think yes uh, I dreamed someone was raping me. Someone inhuman, says uh, Ro. Um, sorry, <laughs> Rosemary. Incredible slippers. I know that's not the point, but they're stunning. And she is covered in scratches. Yes. Um, and, you know, uh, he, he covers it. Guy covers it very quickly by saying, you know, oh, I'm cutting my nails already. By the way, I raped you while you were asleep. Yeah, he says it was fun in a necrophile sort of way. Yikes. Which, yeah, I mean... Yeah, then he also said he'd had too much to drink yes, as well. I was steaming too. Yeah. Um, 
I will say again, the another article that I read that I mentioned earlier talked about how she's at Rosemary's at her most combative when she's naked or barely dressed. She does the most rebelling in the oh, least amount of clothes. That's interesting. It is interesting. So we see her incredibly empowered and actually fighting back and saying that's not right. You know, that's yes. not, that's not right. Um, I don't like it. You know, she looks uncomfortable. She looks sad. And Guy absolutely cannot look at her. <laughs> yeah. At yeah. any point. And also, you know, sort of when we next see him, because now he has this acting job, yep. thanks to the um, coincid- entirely coincidental blinding of Mr. Baumgartner, he is acting with crutches all the time. He's hobbling he around. He's been... He's been symbolically lamed, is how I like to interpret that. He's, uh, yeah, he's limping around. He's because he's already been sort of blinded in a way, right? Mm. The um, blinding is what uh, we, we assume has been done to Mr. Baumgartner to get Guy this job, but also he has been blinded to his actions. So you know they've they've got around him in some way, and it's just it's another way that he is compromised, if you'd like. And again, he can't look at her, which is another blindness, right? So we're not mm. able to see her anymore. We get the the good news that the baby's going to be born on a really fucking horrible date. Um, <laughs> so June 28th, 1966. Uh, no offence to all you Cancerians out there, but devil children. No, this means that it's the due date becomes 06, 1966. The number six, of the six, beast. Six. Yes. Um, which is probably, again, why we keep things very much in time sequence you know, throughout the film so that it does add up to that. Um, what I really like to do when I've just found out my wife is pregnant yeah, with yeah. our first child. Yeah, and first of three. Yeah, yeah, first of three. And she's just like only just Only pregnant. just, like she's she just missed a, a Mr. Period, right? Which is, oh, yeah, but she's, I think she's, she's had a call. And then she's been to the doctor's. Mm. But it's all the guy does the. It's guy who notices this. Yeah, because, of course, I'm also tracking my wife's periods. Yeah. Um. I just love to tell the nosy neighbours immediately. Oh, yeah. That elderly couple that have no stake in our lives, I would love to tell them now. Yeah, yeah. The um, elderly couple who have no stake in our lives who look like they'd be really good at like keeping something important like this a secret. <laughs> yes. We are introduced to the idea and the concept of Dr. Saperstein, um, <laughs> who is problematic in every respect to me. But, hey, she's in the kind of... The haze of having not processed her own incredible life-changing news. Yeah. Um, and so we have this overrunning, horrible blah, thing of Dr. Saperstein. Yeah, we have you... met Dr. Hill. Yes. Um, I forgot about Dr. Hill. He is a kind of sane man. He's a young doctor. He comes recommended by people she knows. You know, there's this safety with him. And then we're introduced via suspicious phone call made by Mrs. Castavet to... Um, Dr. Saperstein, yes. as if they're old friends. Very quickly as well, like um, moments. Uh, yeah, you know, she's she's suddenly she's pregnant, um, and then and now she has a new doctor, and Rosemary doesn't really do anything for in all of the you know these these are things that just happen to Rosemary in fairly quick succession. Yeah. Without any sort of input from her. Yeah. Let's have a little look at the next sort of section, if you like, the next scene. I mean, imagine being that certain about wanting children that you're like, I'm going to have this many. (laughs) and They're going to be now and they're going to do all this stuff. I'm so pleased. Uh, There's this exaggerated distance between Guy and Rosemary in bed in most of the scenes that follow. Right. So each time it seems to get further and further. But here she comes with her Videl Sassoon haircut. Yes. Um, 
interesting moment. So the haircut is defining a character change of sorts, right? Yes. Um, on the one hand, we have prisoner, uh, female prisoners are shaved. Yeah. So she's already beginning to feel imprisoned and pushed around by this relationship. Um, and in an old school, horrible camp kind of way, we are we are shaved and dehumanised and she's done it to herself. So fascinating. Yeah. But, but the counterpoint to that, if I may, please. is that it's one of the first sort of decisions we actually see her yes, make. that was going right? to be exactly where um, I went. Yes, uh, yes, You know, yes. At, least, uh, at least sort of after they moved in, because it is, it is her who wants the flat at the yep. beginning. When we, but she wants the flat, she wants the baby. But she wants the baby, but she didn't particularly want it that evening. <laughs> um, you know, even if we... Even if we accept this, his uh, guy's version of events, because side note here, of course, uh, we are recapping this and treating this as if the satanic plot is all Out real. Oh, is, I see. Yeah, is, yeah, is, yeah. is what is happening rather mm. than you know it being a terrible case of, of of depression and and anxiety on on her part. But even if we Absolutely. accept the rationalist view, if you'd like, she was raped by her partner. She had no say. In, mm. yeah, and then she's had this new doctor sort of foisted upon who you know comes very well recommended. He's apparently yeah. an excellent doctor. Well, also delivered, and here's our accountability: delivered two of Hutch's daughter's kids. Yeah, so fine. But just to cover the hair briefly, because I feel like we'd be remiss not to mention mm. it, given you know this film and what it's famous for. Um, so the hair, despite the rumours, so did we all know that uh, Mia Farrow was at one point. Uh, at the age of 21 married to Frank Sinatra because I didn't and there were rumours of the divorce being due to him absolutely despising the hair and that he saw her her haircut for the film and served her papers on set no and it's the idea as well that it's like somehow like a modern haircut and because frank sinatra is old oh i like it i yeah, guess yeah. i think this is the finally thought, the age gap caught but, up with him yeah and he exactly was like, so this is too much uh, the woman should have long hair yes i don't want a pixie lady yeah but turns out mia farrow did it herself with nail scissors <laughs> <laughs> before filming and not as part of some elaborate nervous breakdown um no. but uh, frank actually loved it yeah yeah. Uh, of course he did because she looks incredible. She looks great, and um, as, yeah, um, you found a news article, an interview in a newspaper with yeah. Mia Farrow some years later, where she says that Frank loved it, but also points out that when they got married, she had a very similar haircut. Yes, and this photo, and, I, and it's true, and I'll put one up on the website or something. Yeah, yeah, there's lo- there's, it's um, lovely. There's, um, there are, you know, there's photographs of her cutting the cake with a very similar haircut. Yeah. What Frank Sinatra certainly didn't like was the fact that she was making a film and so it wasn't... That's true. He um, had said, can you not? Yeah. Um, can you not do film anymore? And she was like, um, bye daddy. I'm well, off. She didn't have to, I mean, you know, Frank Sinatra was a, he was a big star. Like, she didn't yeah. have to work for the money. You no, know? she was bored out of her mind. Of yeah. course she was. She was following around an incredibly famous man and had her own completely independent life outside of that. And so, yeah. Yeah. Um, of course it would be. And also was up. 21. And was 21 years old. Yeah, I don't think telling that <laughs> 21-year-old Mia Farrow-looking creature to not do a thing would go down well. Um, Fidel Sassoon then trimmed it. So the photos that you've seen of Fidel Sassoon working on it, he trimmed it himself uh, another about half inch for publicity photos and they're beautiful because Mia Farrow turns out is an actor (laughs) and is very good at doing a shocked face you know um it reminded me as well of the sort of 
I feel like what people thought Roman Polanski had done to her was that scene in V for Vendetta with um, Natalie, Natalie Portman, Portman. Um, where she's crying and getting shaved yeah. and everyone's like, oh no, they've ruined her. Like, <laughs> hair grows, people, even if it had been the case. You know, we would have had a very different scene. But apparently the biggest mistake she ever made, according to Guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. guys are bastards. Well, it's the only, it's the only thing, it's the only choice she's made pretty well. Yeah, yeah. and it's the worst, worst one. one, according to him. Because... Which is rich, considering that they got married. <laughs> nice. Um, yes, we are in. We're trotting about in a very Virgin Mary colour palette now. Oh, not so immaculate conception. The opposite of immaculate. And we watch her consume nearly raw flesh. Oh, yes. It's um, a good time. Yeah, uh, Mia Farrow, uh, a vegetarian at the time. Has but, two scenes, yeah, where but, she's uh, But still flesh. gamely chowed down on some horrible looking, I don't know what it is, meat of some well, kind. Well, the first bit is definitely like a half a steak that she just kind of shows the frying pan and then eats like it's still breathing. Yeah. Um, we Later, and we'll talk about it, we get this disgusting liver moment. I think we'll go now to how bloody sick she looks yes um she they've paled her face that make and that makes her teeth look very yellow she is starting to look drawn and withdrawn she's in a lot of pain yes um and this is you your point about um suffering right yeah she spends a lot of the film in suffering she spends a lot of the, the film yeah in pain but not just in physical pain for most of the rest of the running time she's in physical or she's in physical pain or in mental anguish right physical yeah. or mental pain which it's the catholic it's the catholic thing again isn't it it's the um yeah, I... the tears of virgin mary yes yes hutch and mr castavet meet and they are essentially two dads fighting uh <laughs> over this kid that is uh in Rosemary, who just desperately wants to impress both of them at the same time, but is having that grim realization when you have two group, two friendship groups, <laughs> you try to meld them, and you're like, "This oh, shouldn't no. be. This shouldn't be." I got a question for you, there, Ben. Yes. Why are pierced ears weird on a man of this time? I I had I did think about this, and my feeling is that it's weird on a man of Mr. Castavetz's vintage mm. and apparent social standing. I can't couldn't find anything sort of particularly satanic about ear piercings, mm-hmm. but just that they are associated with women or mm. pirates. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it, you know, I mean, in 1968. Yeah, yeah. Just that it's. To me, it's a, it's a hint of it's another exotic thing about him, if you think, ah, right? Yes. And and I think if if anything, it ties in to how well travelled he is. Yes, that's right? true. And I wonder mm-hmm. if it has anything to do with that that very elderly code. I mean, not the hanky code. That's not what I'm talking about. But the idea that if you have your <laughs> maybe it's just from my youth. If you have your right ear pierced, you're definitely bi. You know, there were oh, all these... like the different coloured bracelets that mean that you take it up. Oh, the bum. shag bands. Yeah, yes. kind of. But. <laughs> They definitely had one with where on your ear you were pierced, oh, how right. many times you were pierced, and what side you oh, were, okay. whether didn't... you were a giver or a receiver. I wasn't familiar with that. Um, yeah, so who knows? Anyway, um, looking at Hutch get noping out of there as soon as possible, yes. and Guy knows Hutch sees through him, so it's this <laughs> awful, awful, awkward thing about not having a glove, and that'll be important. <laughs> But also, Hutch, I'll stick with Hutch for a sure. moment or two, because when he comes to the door, uh, the one was the first thing he says to uh, Rosemary is, oh, you look awful. 
right? Yeah, you Which care. and he's the only person I think to 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 admit that certainly up to this point. Yeah. Right. Because she doesn't. You know, we, the audience, know that she doesn't look very. She doesn't look good at all. You know. And mm. the, and this is not how a pregnancy is supposed to go. But Doctor Saperstein is telling her that you know it'll it'll all be okay. And yeah. it'll this happens all the time to people at the beginning of pregnancy. Guy is not worried about it. And you know none of the other sort of geriatrics who fuss uh, seem that worried. But, uh, but uh, bear in mind at this point. She's only actually interacting with uh, four people in total. No, that's true. She's so very Guy, isolated. Guy um, and the cast of it. Yeah, and Dr. Saperstein. Dr. Saperstein, and then now Hutch, who's this outsider yeah. coming in. Yeah, and also, we, we've, you know, Hutch has been established as, as definitely a force for good, if we can look yeah. at this in moral terms. You know, he's, a, he's, he's on the side of the angels. And, yeah, but it, I think it's important because it gives us, the audience, some... It is, he says with some authority, like what we are thinking, right? Yes. That, like it reaffirms our suspicion yes. that all is not well with her, her pregnancy. Yes. All is not well with her health, because all of the satanic things, including the fact, as you say, that he's lost his glove. Which mm-hmm. I'll, actually, I'll pick this up when we get to the yeah, next of scene. Sure. Um. So Rosemary sort of gets herself together to go outside on her own and she has been taking um, a disgusting, absolutely disgusting herbal concoction from Mrs. Castavetz on the advice of Dr. Saperstein Mm. saying, don't worry about actual medicine. Uh, Your weird next door neighbour grows herbs, she'll do it. And apparently Rosemary's cool with that uh, because, again, accountability and because we have sort of vague authority Hutch has confirmed that this is a real person and is an actual doctor that's right yes the doctor de- delivered two of his grandchildren yeah, yeah. so you know it's, it's, a, it's a nice bit of it's uh, just the little bit confirmation that, yeah and it's the little bit that would mean that she would question his authority less yeah um so we have that but and also the but the idea that because she she uh her previous Dr Hill had put her on vitamin pills yeah and then uh, and uh, Dr Saperstein says Oh, there's nothing, yeah, everything, you can get all of those nutrients fresher from herbs. I'm good friends with Minnie. Yeah. It's not not in itself sinister, but but the drink looks like sort of off milk with a celery in it or something. Yeah, it's... A celery, with a (laughs) celery in it. It's, uh, yeah, dead right, off milk, probably with an uncooked egg in it for that extra pregnancy Mm. buzz, and then um, sort of weirdly blended with mojito mix. Um, (laughs) So they're doing that. And she says, look, I won't take my meds today um, just now because I'm going out. And Minnie's immediately on it saying, oh, I'll come with you. I'll stop you interacting with other people. Um, But it's refused really beautifully. Again, um, it's because uh, she's strengthened by knowing she's seeing Hutch, but also because Hutch seems so determined to see her. She's not wanting to rock the boat with that. His phone call to her to get her there was particularly... Uh, to the point <laughs> yes. uh, and she is very sick so she kind of shonks herself out of bed because that's a real word and she is in navy everything right this is a wool outfit I need that hat in my life that kind of um, sort of tartan navy tam creature with a big pom it's incredible she is dressed excessively warmly I guess it's December in New York so that is you know it's, yeah. it's very no, it, cold it does look cold out but again it makes her look small it does and we have this thing of um, pathetic fallacy where the weather reflects where she is she is at her most isolated here and it's incredibly cold um again you know so each time that she's kept away from people it's cold and you'll see later that as it heats up the drama heats up and her 
there's more and more people around her not always in a good way um but yes this navy suit and it should be stunning but there's something really horrible about the what it does to the color of her skin because again this costume designer is a genius so it's making her skin do this kind of pallid done frightening color and especially because i think they may have re-gingered her hair or they've added some sort of ginger that makes the teeth look even more yellow so actually she is skeletal at this point like she looks fully sick they've put dark circles under her eyes and dressed her in this dark blue that brings out more dark in the circles um and it's quite horrible the boots are great though (laughs) you know the boots are properly great even though she looks even more sick and she's sitting outside where she was meant to meet her saying you know pain be gone um i'll have no more oh yes pain be gone i will have no more of thee which um feels uh, liturgical or biblical or uh, as as far as i can ascertain yeah, it, it wasn't is anything. it is from you know it, it's it's made it was written for this uh, film but it is it's another little prayer it is especially coming so close to the nativity scene that she yeah, spies she at the same yeah. while she's waiting to meet her she of course hasn't, hasn't shown up i mean this is yeah it's it's a horrible scene so the, the last bit of hope is essentially um, taken from it. And of course, Minnie turns up around the corner, having clearly followed her there, saying, oh, what a surprise. Let's get you home. You look sick. And uh, <laughs> doing all the lovely whatever happened to baby Jane type. Like, yes. oh, I definitely did this to you. <laughs> um, we have some just a little uh, just the last bit I wanted to say on this section was. We are at New Year's Eve suddenly right so that that scene is two weeks until christmas we're at new yeah. year's eve well she before looks... oh, so before we get what? to that of course we get the telephone call from grace the first time we meet hutch's friend grace yes. because um and this is important well i say it's important. it is, it oh, is. So, uh, yes this is important uh because we find out that hutch has been taken suddenly ill yes he's in a uh, coma and he's in a coma mm. all right and of course we have met we have met this before right this is coincidentally what happened to the previous occupant of of their flat mm-hmm. um and um and yes this is something that i nearly touched on earlier but uh that we the audience intuit that because hutch was missing a glove um we intuit from this that uh, a, a glove has been stolen for nefarious, nefarious purposes. ritual uh, purposes mm. um but we don't we don't see any of that and even here there's very little objective idea of wrongdoing from the cast events we you know feel like they're wrong but we never the camera is always identified with rosemary and her point of view so we never wander next door to see what's going on so there's we have very little objective idea of wrongdoing from the cast events we intuit that they have done hutch harm via the glove but this is there is a plausible path narratively to psychosis there's, uh, it oh, is, yeah. everything, all of this is off stage almost, right? Mm. It's all done by accretion of detail uh, that, some, you know, that we know something is wrong mm-hmm. and we've got a pretty good idea of what it is, but it's all, it's all suggested. We never, we never see any of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a small question. Why did the dentist make the chain for her charm? I don't know. Okay. Um. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the year one, 1966. Oh, yes. Not New sinister year. at all. What do you mean? No. It's New Year. And um, again, what I love to do at New Year is eat the liver and then immediately puke the liver. <laughs> That's uh, definitely how I'd see in the year one. Yep, year when I'm one. Holding the child of 
the devil. So our Ro Rosemary makes a very good move and she decides to make an actual decision for herself again. And this one is no one under 60 is coming to my bloody party. You can piss off. <laughs> she could just be hormonal. And it's she does it. Well, thing. she does, in fact, also have to, to tell the cast events to piss off. Yeah, in, fully. I mean, pretty. Yeah, pretty close to that. Yeah. Um, this beautiful line that I really love, because, again, this is what I mean by she could be hormonal. We get haven't you heard the pain will go away in a couple of days, which is what this disaster doctor's been telling her. Yeah. Um, obviously, much to her horror that not only has it not gone, but no one is now listening to her at all about her pain. Um, and it's, again, it's Rosemary making a decision for herself and then using that time to be extremely dry. <laughs> you know, like extremely... <laughs> yes. I, and again, it's, it, it's being exhausted by pain, I think, does not help. The medical drink looking um, equally disgusting mm. uh, as it's poured away because she's rebelling on every level yes. at this point. Yes, and we're seeing it's more from her in terms of rebellion and agency. It's more than we've seen from her since the beginning of the film pretty well. Dead right. <laughs> so my note on the party, my first note yeah. is uh, everyone is so skinny. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the friends turn up, they're all flipping gorgeous, high fashion furs, we're all incredibly like knife edge on trend, which also implies that Rosemary is the more conservative of the friends and relatives. Um, she's more demure than them that, you know, they really are dressing to impress. And there's a lot of makeup that she just doesn't wear, mm -hmm. um, which, again, I'm sure that it's designed so that she looks doubly sick when she's around them. Yes, the contrast. Uh, yeah. And again, those friends, the, the, even the men come in sort of saying that she doesn't look right. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, we finally get some kitchen witches, whoop, 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 <laughs> which is where everybody gathers in the kitchen. They lock the men out of the kitchen um, in order to have this DMC, deep and meaningful chat with um, Rosemary about the condition that she's in. And this Dr. Saperstein has already warned her not to listen to her friends, not to listen to her aunt. Every pregnancy is different because, hey, it's a cult and <laughs> they're trying to separate her from her women, from friends, from family um, and plant these seeds of doubt. But all these women who she trusts clearly and who she's friends with, she just kind of weeps in front of them because she's so tired and upset. And in and pain, in right? Pain, she's been in pain for a long in time. In agony and thinking that that's supposed to be normal, kind of, and being told that she has a special condition that only older people get and all this weird stuff that could be true. So they treat it like they do, like it's it's a proper actual circle of women. It's very witchy in an old this is way. This one of like the the one of the main strengths of this film is that like what Saperstein says is true. Yeah, like the pregnancies are different, and that just because you've seen that you know just because something is in a book doesn't mean that it's you know doesn't mean that your pregnancy is going to go exactly that way. And in fact, it probably won't. Right? This mm -hmm. is it's all the plausible yeah things that they feed her. Absolutely. Um, so the friends go home eventually and Guy is <laughs> just inexplicably, unnecessarily volatile. Well, because uh, he was kept out of the kitchen, right? Yeah, it's yeah. not inexplicable. But I mean, no. as far as she's but, concerned. No, absolutely. And it's interesting to watch Rosemary directly quote one of her pals. So this is in the way that you would directly quote a doctor. If a doctor says to you, like... Um, these things are normal behaviour, you would actually use the phrasing, these things are normal behaviour, you know? Yeah, and if one of your friends says to you, pain like that is a warning, something isn't right. 
then you probably then you repeat would, it back. Would say exactly that to your husband. But it is suggesting again, and bear in mind, we are looking at this because we have seen it. We're looking at it a certain way, but it does suggest that rosemary is highly suggestible. I oh, use suggest a lot there, but you see what I'm saying. <laughs> I do. It's it's that she's the almost the other way to read it is that the doctor clocked it and knew that she'd be easily influenced by her friends and so was trying to get in there before she exactly yes. before she started taking terrible advice but actually of course we know that that friend was right and please listen to her again i have to say to you rosemary is 21 years old during this argument with the screaming and it's so the nightmare of first time pregnancy um i was discussing this with a friend earlier today um the it's the it's the only time it's the only film i think that truly encapsulates that anxiety of what if my pregnancy is wrong right what if there's something wrong and it, there's a lot of them there's a lot of films about my baby is born evil um my kid <laughs> is the devil I don't know how to parent properly, but hey, it's probably mental illness um, that's nothing to do with me and definitely not my fault looking at you, Tilda Swinton. I love you, but that was a shocking film and a shocking book. So yes, uh, derailed ever so slightly there, hold, hold that thought. Yes, so this is the first one that really encapsulates, for me, or the biggest one that encapsulates that absolute morbid fear that there is there is something wrong in your pregnancy or that you are first time pregnant, you don't know how things are supposed to feel, you don't know what's normal and you do rely heavily on the advice of women and your doctor and the fact that the doctor might be in some way untoward or giving you bad advice is a hot mess nightmare. Take away the kind of conception element of that, which was also awful, BT dubs, this pure anxious state and seeing her in this way where she's allowed her, her body to become so emaciated and be in so much pain for so long that now it's like, is there even a baby anymore? You know, like it's yeah. it's all proper actual horror in a way that we don't see in this era even um, from anything else. A lot of horror is campy and difficult to um, feel into. You know, you're there essentially to, I don't know, feel someone's thigh in a cinema rather than actually engage with what's happening. But this does hit on a more primal level i would say it's much more much more heartbreaking yeah because there are see it, it is interesting to consider what sort of horror film this is partly of you know there's yeah. the sort of the surface i mean and again it's not to sort of it's not to trivialize in any way sexual assault no or sincere beliefs about uh good and evil and the devil, the devil right yeah. and the idea of the devil it's also the horror of, of a young woman who has every support uh, kicked away from her sort of one by one i've always called it a psychological horror yeah um because there's two ways that can mean it's either that you'll be um, hunted down by followers of the devil for use of terrible purposes yeah or that you have actually got some um as it's termed later um postnatal crazies yeah. um and uh or just you know prenatal depression or any of these things um, perinatal depression. Pre prepartum crazy. Prepartum crazy. Is I think the phrase that Guy uh, uses. You see, it's interesting that you took this uh, exchange with Guy as her being very susceptible, and I I absolutely see and acknowledge mm. your reading. I just I took it as uh, a moment of assertion mm. because what she says uh, to Guy when he is very uncomplimentary of the of the of the, the those bitches. Those bitches mm. Um, is that she wants a second opinion, right? She wants to go yes. and see Dr. Hill. 
and she's like I've not talked you know who said anything about like change you know she's not going to change her doctor mm -hmm. particularly or change her regime as as such she just wants another doctor to look at it and of course he doesn't really have an argument for that no. he just says he doesn't they don't want to hurt Dr. Saperstein's feelings or so you know oh that is so abysmal and it really really hit home there is some um abusive uh parts of my history where that massively <laughs> rings true i didn't want to hurt the feelings of this massive stranger and it's it's a lie of this, of this man who's paid to deal with the, the uh, yeah, yeah this man who literally doesn't care supposedly should only care if i live or die like doesn't yeah. actually care about my decision just wants me to be well um but definitely take care about his feelings and i don't care about yours is just abysmal but her mistake here Mm. Is that she immediately tells Guy like oh, she, she trusts she, Guy? She trusts Guy is yeah. her is her mistake, and because we the audience know that if there is a plot against her, mm. then he is up to his neck in it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in fact, this whole film could be called "Don't Trust Guy." Yes. Um, so we're looking at oh yes, and then there's this blooming harrowing thing of I felt it moving and her skeleton grin when the baby starts kicking it's absolutely and he will not bloody touch that thing nope. he's disgusted by it immediately and that should tell you something now I am <laughs> frankly disgusted when I feel babies move because there is essentially you you are hosting um a, a sentient being and I don't want to feel it moving through your skin but that's not the same <laughs> as you know I am not the parent of that child hopefully and I recoiling isn't really one of the things that is um, associated with that off the bat so could have raised an eyebrow although he also happens to be an epic piece of shit so maybe it is acceptable behavior for him to <laughs> withdraw that way and go blur and her to say don't be afraid yeah you know don't be afraid don't of be afraid. it and whoa. to me this is suggestive as well because immediately she makes that decision to go and see another yes. doctor the pain's cease right and then she feels the baby move and she says it's alive Ooh. which is of course the same thing that victor frankenstein says famously in the james whale 1931 yeah universal frankenstein you know which is not a it's it's not a portend of of, of good tidings <laughs> no you know it's a sinister You've created a monster and bad thing but the mm. fact the timing of the ceasing of her pains being so close uh, to her sort of new resolve yeah. is suggestive to me that it could be the work of the cavern, and mm. that the the pains, if you like, had a second, well, possibly a primary purpose, which was uh, to break her, right, to subdue yeah. her, to break her spirit. That they are, you can read them as sort of medical pains, if mm -hmm. you'd like, to do with the growing of the, or they could be of in the nature of the blinding, or, yes. the, or Hutch's coma, right? They could be a something affected by. Yes. A uh, coven working against her. And again, to counter the theory, and we talked about this off mic, but um, the for me, some of it shows that this is in fact an anti-baby, right? So we are birthing the anti-Christ. Therefore, a peaceful pregnancy for the mother of a devil spawn is probably going to be an extremely painful pregnancy. As soon as there is extreme conflict and she's like at the end of her tether screaming at someone, the pain ceases. You know, yeah. so of course everything's going to be the other way around. Everybody and she else gets paler and thinner, exactly, instead of glowing, all yes. of that stuff. Yes. Um, hey, guess what? What? Hutch is dead. Poor Hutch. Yeah. Um, Hutch died. The only sane person in this film who is provably sane. Yes. Um, 
just putting it out there. Her funeral outfit, though, is majestic. Um, again, my best friend and father figure has just died. I'm going to wear a kind of colourful muumuu to the funeral <laughs> and yeah. look great. She does look like she's actually turned up for a fashion shoot in this bit. And it is that kind of... Uh, she is starting to glow now, so she's rocking it. You know, she's mm. deliberately wearing things that she can enjoy wearing and that it makes her look super duper uber pregnant because they make you know even the slenderest among us look mm. like we're carrying for nine months turns up to the funeral and meets grace in person yes who's previously been a voice on the telephone which yeah i've got a note here about grace i find it interesting because as i've said hutch is on the side of the angels he is a force mm. for good and messages from him you know after he after he departs communications if you'd like including um including the book uh, which is given to her right by um by grace by yeah. grace come come via come through grace right which again you know is it's another nice word, another yeah. nice another nice catholic word we talk briefly about names because i also find it interesting that uh, guy's name is is guy as in like he's just he's some guy mm-hmm. it's a, it's a cipher because he is a little bit of a hole uh, in <laughs> In both yes, senses. I see what you mean. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. That's a good point. Given that names are about to come up again, because one of the things that um, yes, one of the things that Hutch, well, through Grace, mm. right? Hutch. This is where she gets the book. The book is called um, All of Them All Witches. All of Them Witches, passed on, and um, also that the the message from Hutch just before he died, because he regained consciousness, yes. and he said the name is an anagram. The name is an anagram. So it's All of Them Witches by J.R. Hanslet. It doesn't exist. It's another thing made <laughs> for the book. Uh, uh, made for the film, rather. You want to do some anagrams? I've got one. You've got one. I've Go got ahead. one, yeah. Mine is Hell Acometh Swift. That's nice. Mm. Athletic Mesh Wolf. <laughs> Hot. Hot. With Camelot Shelf. <laughs> right. There's a few, but she comes up with a few. This is another one of the film's bits of humour. Right when she uh, is coming up, trying to come up with um, anagrams, and she so she yeah. tips all of the scramble things. Who does that? All of Who somebody does that? who's very disturbed. She's, she's all, not. She's, she's fine. She's glowing. Jangle. She's glowing. She's been to a funeral looking like a pop star, and then she just chucks scrabble, scrabble tiles, tiles all, all over, over a hard floor. floor. Monster. Anyway, anyway, but I yeah, do she, like the she, envelope they're in. Though, but she tries to come up with a few. Um, she tries to come up with a few anagrams mm. without much success. Mm-hmm. Uh, she doesn't come up with anything quite as bad as um, AWOL Michelle Thefts or um, Chloe Halfwits Them, but you know they're on that kind of mm-hmm. they're on that kind of level, um, and it's yeah it's 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 funny isn't it? It's played for it's a it's one of the moments of unambiguous mm. played one of, one of the moments that is unambiguously played for laughs. Well, here's the thing though, because we're doing all of that and watching her pour Scrabble tiles all over the floor um, in silence actually. Um, and the score only comes back in as she's figuring out the answer to the puzzle. So mm. as she figures out, um, well, who her neighbour is. Yes. Um, who her neighbour really is. Because Hutch has, Hutch has told us earlier that this was the habitat of, yes, she works out mm-hmm. that that Adrian Mercado, the famous Satanist, as mentioned by Hutch mm. earlier, that lived in the building, uh, is the father of... Stephen Mercado, yep. um, who is, whose name rather is an anagram of 
Yeah. Rom- Roman Castavet. Roman Castavet. Right, she works this out. Name is an anagram. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the dates match up because he's told he's... us, he's told them how old he is. Mm-hmm. And the film is at great pains to make sure that we know what year it is. Yes. Um, so she makes this realisation. And then she reads more of the book on witchcraft and becomes rather... Rather overwrought, I think, is, is, yeah, well, is fair. Well, I guess, but like justifiably so. Oh, she, yes. And she massively trusted Hutch's judgment. He was very knowledgeable about the herb. He hadn't heard of it either. You know, yes. um, Tannis root, which, Tannis root, which it depends how you read it, where you read it, but it could be Satan's root, you know, in, a, in an anagram form again, if we're going to go down that. Um, yes, we talked about this off mic as well, and it is the middle, it's in the middle of the word Satanism, right? Yes. Satanis, Tannism. And, um, otherwise known as Devil's Pepper, according to one of the books, which I really love. But yes, so, baby's blood has the most power. This is the rantings of a mad woman. Yes, this is from Um, All of Them Witches. All of Them Witches. Which isn't a real book, but is very much in the style of several books that do exist and were popular around this time (laughs) that we own. Um, Bought a load of witchcraft books and does the face that I do when I've bought a load of witchcraft books and I'm reading them in the back of a cab. She talks about S-bats and sabbats and all these stuff that all this stuff that she doesn't fully understand, and then talks about how baby's blood has the most power. This is all to Guy, who once again she's foolishly trusted. So he put the book higher than she could reach. Ah, she hasn't bought the other books yet. No. Um, but he put the book higher than she could reach, and they fight about it. But also, he again sort of seemingly reasonably says, "Like goodness me, that is him." You out. But uh, yes. But also that, you know, she explains the anagram thing and yep. that uh, Roman Castavets is... A, but, of course, being the son of a notorious occultist yep. is not in itself evidence of devil worship. No, right? exactly that. They, then she has it in her head they want to harm her baby. So yep. this is where the film takes another massive turn and goes, oh, she's actually now trying to protect a child. She hasn't actually cottoned on to what's happening, but she's nearly there. So the audience is screaming at her going, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> but, you know. Little Sally or Andy, as she keeps calling it. Yes, poor sausage. Minnie's holiday get-up. So the doctor has sent Minnie on holiday. This is how doctors work. Oh, yes. that's Because this is the other thing as well, is that she, as well as trusting yes. uh, Guy, Guy, she trusts uh, Dr. Sepperstein, right? Yes, she does. Um and he seems very accommodating of... Uh, yeah, totally. He's like, I can absolutely see why you'd be concerned. That is very distressing. Why don't I make them go on holiday? Yeah, well, they're good <laughs> friends. And, oh, and apparently, also, apparently, Mr. Kastovitz is, is very unwell. Yes, he's got four months to live. Yeah, he? yeah, he's got they a, were a holding short off. time. But he didn't want to leave with you, with the baby. Yeah. Which um, sounds like something that they've planned and scripted in case this happened, you know. But uh, Minnie's holiday get-up is absolutely next-level stuff. Those hair goals. <laughs> I remember having lilac hair and I miss it. Um, I didn't look quite that deranged with it, I hope. But um, yes, perfect. Um, so they pop off on holiday with... Um, considering they think he's dying, <laughs> yeah. everyone's quite jolly. Yes, but um, then again, you don't want to be banquo at the feast. You don't want to say you're looking very well, considering you'll be dead soon. Yeah, that's very true. Also, not very doctor-like to tell another patient about a patient's oh, work, a but don't worry point. about don't it. Don't worry about it, though. He's an excellent doctor. <laughs> don't worry about but it. But 
from her from um, from Rosemary's perspective, things are looking up, right? She's uh, yeah. she's identified a threat from those two, and then as yeah. far as she can see, her doctor has agreed. Then they've they've gone on holiday. The doctor yeah. has prescribed her some vitamin pills for the r- remainder of her pregnancy to, to keep her happy. Let's do it in pill form. You yep. put my book in the garbage, yeah. and if anyone fed me a pill like that, they would lose their fingers. They might lose the whole arm. <laughs> Walking into traffic. Yes. We have a lovely scene of walking into traffic that uh, Roman Polanski actually just made Mia Farrow walk into traffic with her faux pregnancy bump um, in New York saying, no one will hit a pregnant woman. (laughs) And because nobody wanted to film it, he followed her around with a... uh, with a handheld camera and was weaving in and out of the traffic with her, hence all the honking. Yes. So sometimes you look at a scene and you go, oh, this is re- that's really well done. I wonder how they did that. And the answer is... It's the 60s. Oh, they, they just, just did it. They just yeah. did it. <laughs> We're moving on to blind actor phone calls. Yes. Donald Baumgartner, who's an uncredited Tony Curtis. And he finds it quite amusing that he's phoned up by the wife of the man who's got... His role. His role. Mm. His role. She's just being a crazy pregnant lady again. You know, she's not, yeah. <laughs> but she looks like she is. She's asking strange questions. She's asking about, like, did they take anything from you? And there's this reveal. One, Guy definitely lied. Guy has clearly told Rosemary that he went and paid his respects to this guy whose role he got. Yeah. What's actually happened is there was a gathering with drinks and him and this, well, Guy and this guy yeah. uh, <laughs> swapped ties. Donald, his name. Donald Baumgartner. Donald, there we go. Thank you. Yes, Donald and Guy swap ties. Um, just your regular everyday tie swapping party. Yep. And Donald saying, why did you think he stole it? And laughing. Yes. And she's like, I have to hang I up the phone now. I have to hang up now. the phone now. I have to go. <laughs> Which is as close as you can get to yes. Isn't it? It's basically Homer Simpson fading back into the hedge. And, um, <laughs> and, and she asks if he wants it back and he sort of does a mirthless laugh and says it doesn't matter what colour tie he wears. Yeah, it's so dark and beautiful. And then we get her mad pregnant zombie waddle <laughs> while yeah. she's like, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. It's 94 degrees out there. Yes, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful reveal. Um, she's wearing some perfume. That's nice. And um, as every good receptionist knows, myself included, <laughs> you definitely give compliments to the extremely anxious-looking pregnant woman. <laughs> and uh, oh, yeah, she's wearing perfume because she's stopped wearing the tennis the root, tennis root. Uh, charm. Yes, right? the horrible as, as charm. part of a general sort of overthrow of. Yeah, where did she, I think she threw it in a jewelry box? She, or she, put, yeah. she chucked it down the drain. Oh yes, outside yes, 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 in yes. the street. So yes, the receptionist then says, "Oh, that's nice. I'm glad you stopped wearing that stinky piece of poo. Um, maybe the doctor will follow your example." And ouch! It's ouch! So ouch. nicely done. So chilling. So casual. The, the temptation must have been there to do a big reveal, to do a crash yes. zoom on him wearing like a tennis root ring <laughs> or something, or like an advert for tennis root with him saying, I endorse oh, this product, or, root, you know, yeah. or something like that. But having it tossed away like that mm. in dialogue is is wonderful. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a real... And it brings in that marvel. drone sound mm. again, the kind of horror drone in the soundtrack too. I love it. We're, <laughs> we're in a phone booth. Yes. We're doing a whole... There's a plot against me phone call to Dr. Hill. Yes. We're trying to get through to him. Um, the receptionist is really funny. I don't know why I find her so funny, but it's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Um, the fake phone call is awesome. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. Yes. The whole thing was taken in one take, actually. It was one long, continuous take with uh, Mia Farrow just losing her mind in a, in a hot phone box yeah. uh, in New York. 
there is this absolutely terrifying moment with the guy. It's the most tense thing where mm. there's a man standing with his back to the box that just turns and grins. Who is he? That's Well, that's William Castle, who yes. is the uh, producer of uh, this film, but was also a man with a background in horror films. It's very different type of horror films. He directed a few Vincent Price uh, films in the late 50s. He did uh, The House on Haunted Hill yeah. with him and The Tingler. So he was a gimmick man. He Things was with a lot of effects. Um, and, yeah. Yes. Uh, the Tingler had... Um, hang on, I've written it down. Percepto. The Tingler ah. had Percepto, uh, which uh, which was the gimmick was in some theatres they would have... He put some... There were ex-military equipment like de-ices or something, but they would basically they would vibrate your seat Hmm, so under lovely. the thing, uh, and um, the spiders, yeah, the, the uh, emergo or emergo, <laughs> emergo. I assume a plastic skeleton with glow in the dark paint hold over the heads of the audience uh, so <laughs> in cute. the cinema. And uh, the, I mean, it's the yeah, first four D. It's the first four D. Yeah, no, it's uh, exactly. And I, um, but he, the point I, I, is, I guess, that his his horror films were not this kind of horror film. Yeah. Yeah, of course. You know? But he manages to bring an element of this kind of horror film into it by doing that morbid, weird <laughs> smile at her. Um, he sleeps in pyjamas now to hide the mark. Yes, this uh, is, of Guy. Uh, this is, speaking of Guy, to Dr. Hill in his office when we, <laughs> we go on and on and on to this very sober and clever man who's, you know, we, we already know him. He's established as quite a serious young doctor. Um, that doesn't take any cack and he's yeah. sort of entertaining this this wild woman he's clearly knackered he she, he was napping when she called and essentially he says to her come and yeah. sit in here i'll keep you safe i'm gonna have somebody you know would you like to be in mount sinai tonight i think is the yes. thing the big hospital but i mean she 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 is unspooling a conspiracy to him right she, and she says like they have plots against people don't she's they? got you her know? witchcraft books out uh yeah and she's and she's not quite yelling at him but really quite she's terrified she's terrified but uh, but yes she doesn't come across well <laughs> no no and because we've only i don't seen... blame her for no this. no but because we've only seen her for a long time we've seen the her view gaze we're used to her kind of mania yeah and Guy is quite used to being within her mania and um, diffusing it. So when her mania is unleashed on Dr. Hill, it looks yeah. really jarring and yeah. extra bad. But also Dr. Hill is, is is a presence who's been in the film all the way through. Yeah. And he's set up here as a saviour, right? We've seen films, right? We know that this is a <laughs> yeah. potential, this should be, could be a way out for her, right? A, yeah. a moment when things turn mm-hmm. and she is delivered from... That's a baby pun. Didn't mean it to be. But she is delivered from evil, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Uh, she then, you know, she lies down, has a little, uh, tries to have a little nap a nap, um, saying, God bless Dr. Hill. There's another prayer. Yeah. And uh, monsters. Unspeakable. Unspeakable. Yes. Unspeakable monsters. Catholic, Catholic, Catholic. Yes. Uh, she has a dream about kids and uh, showing her three blooming children to what we assume is her family because she we know that she has 16 nieces and nephews yeah. there's quite a few children in there there's a lot of sisters and it's quite a sweet dream and it's broken by guy again yes you know um by uh <laughs> dr hill having turned on her having contacted dr saperstein and yeah. guy who both rock up her. Guy absolutely not looking at her, not making eye contact, not even referencing her at any point because he's so ashamed and frightened. 
Um, they walk her back to the house uh, before she makes a break for it. And we have this nice shot of, it's like a tracking shot of them walking through um, a lot of prison style bars everywhere um, and getting progressively closer together as well. They start quite far apart and then it gets more claustrophobic. Uh, do you have more notes on that? Because mine is just don't run when you're that pregnant or badly operate a lift. Um, <laughs> distorted music cue of the lullaby. Oh, yes. Uh, so the, the score comes back in and again, it's, jazz. it's more of that like drone style thing you were talking yes. about earlier, but it is recognisably the tune yeah. of the la 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 la. Yeah, let's but, never do but, that again. But made more ho- <laughs> even more horrible than that. I know. Um, she screams, "Go to hell!" And uh, and the camera is far too close <laughs> to her again, uh, as happens a couple of times, but not very much in this film. It, it put me in mind of Repulsion. Yes, his earlier film, and the camera movement does that a lot as well. And this, Which to I me, hate, by the way. is a. <laughs> this is a. This is the the moment, if you'd like, that it becomes briefly a different sort of horror film. Yes, you know, very, very true. Um, it's it's much more because this is the first time that we feel or she feels like she's in like physical peril. Like she doesn't know what they're going to do yes. to her. It's a different kind of threat. Yes, and we get this kind of hands through the door, go to hell moment where she's keeping souls in hell, you know, and yeah. shutting the door on their hands and doing all that. So she thinks she's safe. We're in her home. She's locked the door a few times. Yes. <laughs> and is this incredible moment that's just so... It's not even subtle. It's just so nicely done where she's panting and doing her door thing and two people creep around behind her. Yeah, and we see it. House. The camera sees it, but she does not. Yeah, but they're but not... we, the audience, yeah. see it in the background. They're not creeping like a burglar creeps. They're creeping like people that are doing a surprise party and it's so much worse. Yeah. It's so much worse. Old people doing a surprise party. Nothing more sinister. I've just... just put, Yeah, hit him with the phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, because she gets, she gets the telephone and again she's trying to reach out to her Oh, friends. her sister, I think. Oh, no, you're right. It's her friend. I believe it's one of her friends. From the party. Yes, yeah. you're dead right. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, but of course they are not there and then when they phone back it is too late. Mm, in fact, Guy the answers the phone. Yes. You know, she's on the phone and, and hangs up but then hits him with the phone. And then when all these... He's being pinned down on the bed Ooh, by these geriatric doctor. Satanists. Yes, geriatric um, Satanists. Uh, and, and, and I'm sitting there watching the film and, and just willing her to sort of cry out. You think, you know, make a noise now. Rosemary, and and it's you can still yeah, be safe. That's like if, true. if your friend hears you in the background saying like for God's sake help, yeah, you know. But of course she, but of course she doesn't. We no. can't influence her. Uh. No, exactly. And you know, guy picks up the phone. He's an actor, and he very successfully says she's not here right now. Bye bye. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, the most that per- the most that friend can do is question. Yes. And we know they don't live near each other because no. Rosemary moved away from her support group. And after all that horror, we cut away to um, pinstripes and stillness. Uh, yeah. We're in a lot of yellow. We're in a lot of that mid-range color palette. The old people are all a little bit sexier. They're all dressed a little bit less conservative a little bit more woo <laughs> you know <laughs> as um, if they are celebrating something almost like they are going to a party yes she's told that her baby died um to celebrate uh guy eats a bit of her toast 
and says we yes. can always make another one. We can one. make another one, exactly you wanted you know, you wanted more. Which to me is is his justification for allowing her to be impregnated by the devil. Yeah. It's him saying, Well, you know, we'll just make more of them. It'll be fine. She can only just do like one devil baby and then Oh the and yes, interestingly as well, he says that they'll move to the Hollywood hill you know, they'll put soon they'll put all this behind yes. them. Move to Hollywood, which is exactly what uh Polanski did following the making of this film and of course, you know, it and it, it uh it um didn't go so well it, it it went no it was a terrible idea it went terribly for him Both. but yeah which is again another it's another reminder of what he has gained from this mm. bargain right you also know. this that that line um you're lying you witches oh, that yes. she screams that's amazing yeah. i wanted to put that in there as well because it's a big moment um and it could again absolutely be pregnant psychosis when she finds out her yes. baby's dead she could actually have just cracked you know and it yeah. would be completely believable still and with like near the end of the film here you yeah know? <laughs> oh, and then when she hears a baby crying which is another wonderful moment right she turns the television off yeah she turns the air control. conditioning off with her big, with with the big chunky remote control gorgeous remote control and the weird tray that for some reason is burnt into my memory continue uh, she hears a baby crying <laughs> yes immediately of course assumes that it is her baby is her baby is not dead but mm-hmm. then we find out that this new neighbors moved in mm-hmm. and they have a baby and, and again, like it's just worth pointing out and, and sort of putting in here that all the way through here, we are, as we're talking about it, we are taking the conventional interpretation of events, right? Yes. Which is a satanic plot, mm-hmm. you know, in which uh, Rosemary is impregnated by the devil, the child is then born, yep. and Satan. And, and, you know, uh, but the the alternative reading, if you'd like, is the is the one which Guy now mm-hmm. offers, which is that she's had prepartum depression mm-hmm. and or the pre sorry the prepartum crazies that's the technical yep, yep. the technical term but that yeah that it's a psychosis right and yes. she is very unwell and again um, we see a keyhole gaze when she's on the hunt for the crying baby and the only other time that we've seen from first person has been when she's dreaming so there is the possible interpretation that the whole thing from baby death is a dream yeah created by a sudden psychosis or just break she's silent in those slippers and they're kind of uh angelic looking you know they're kind of like she's walking on clouds she's still she's dressed as the virgin mary again we're in the, the we're in the white and blue yeah but carrying um, a big knife and carrying a big knife this time which i feel like yes. virgin mary could have done with as well the rocking crib that she stops with a big knife, with the knife there's no real baby in it it's absolutely terrifying um everything's very frightening at this point anyway because we're not sure what she's going to find but also no one's guarding her um, what's no. her name? Laura, Laura Louise. Laura Louise has been a tit. Who is uh, is an interesting. I want to say something about Laura Louise in in this sort of the closing moments of the film mm. here uh, is that she is uh, she gives the jig away very very much yes. so with the um, because um, they, when they bring in her sort of sedative pills, that's one reason why they're not guarding her, of course, is because they believe her to be sedated. They mm-hmm. don't know that she's been hiding the pills. Oh, yes. But uh, they also bring in that little sort of breast pump thing to express the milk. And uh, Rosemary says, what do you do with it? And uh, Lara Louise very, very theatrically yeah. says, like, oh, we, are, we, we, uh, we throw it away, of course. And she... <laughs> Basically telegraphs, we certainly don't feed it to your satanic baby next door. <laughs> so once there's the big reveal that everybody is, uh, hail Satan! Yes. Um, we, uh, as I say, everyone's dressed a bit sexier. Everyone's sort of um, doing the super villain um, final moment, but everyone's doing it at once. And actually, I feel like um, that is the satanic panic 
um, interpretation of a Satanist. It's this purely evil suburban nightmare. Yeah. And uh, it's it, it makes total sense that they would be extreme because they are w- evil witches, evil doers who are close to Satan and will um, perform the ultimate defilement on this sacred creature. So I think they yes. had to be Campus Christmas yes. too. Because she was already Campus Christmas. Yeah. She was already overtly an well, no, exactly. the, the Yeah, the cast, the, the cast of it's are not going to be any other way are they <laughs> no but again it's Laura Louise saying yeah. you know um, comply or we, we, could, we could just kill you we don't milk or no milk milk or no milk we'll kill you so, yes, yes. to get to that of course she goes uh, through that closet that was hidden by the secretary she does at the beginning I of the film I want all of her linens yeah you know the rosemary breaking through to the other place to the place behind yes. it's a complete contrast to her color scheme hers is all these chintzy you know doris yeah. day things and she walks into lots of dark wood lots of paintings of buildings on fire you know satanists love that yes um you know oh, yes because earlier of course she's noticed when they went round. she you've talked to you talked earlier about her being so perceptive yes and with exactly. it and sharp and she notices immediately when she goes around that they've taken all the paintings down yeah because the spaces on the walls where they were and it's just an it's and that the fact that the camera lingers on them as we go past i think is supposed to bring that back to mind yeah absolutely yeah yeah what i love <laughs> about this bit so she's crashed the party. I always turn up to a party with a knife. Uh, she's crashed the party. She's kind of wandered in like the person that did too much pre-drinking. You know, she's sort of just post-birth waddled in there being like, come and get me. And, you know, like like just looking so, f- so out of it. It is. It's someone that's taken a different drug to everyone else in the room and everyone else in the room is kind of turning like that's the most normal thing to see. A woman dressed like the Virgin Mary, essentially wielding a knife. And of course they do a pan around the crowd and just to show that everyone is definitely a witch, you you are contractually obligated to have a black cat. So there's an elderly lady with a black cat looking a bit surprised. But everyone's pretty, pretty chill. Like they were kind of anticipating, they were kind of not, they don't care. She's kind of served her purpose. Guy is desperately avoiding eye contact to the point of where, you know, he hides in the kitchen at parties, right? He hides behind um, Minnie when she's spitting feathers. What have you done to its eyes? What have you done to its eyes? Yes. Perfect. Um, And the fact that, of course, we we don't get to see the baby. No, from, no, no, we, we don't her. see it. Now, I, I did read that there was a, a contemporary reviewer at the time which gave quite a lengthy and involved description of the of the baby, which, of course, the reviewer had not seen. Uh, they were just sort oh, of rather carried away. But pinch of salt on that because I was only able to find references to it rather mm. than the thing itself. But it, but if it was from a provincial newspaper, there's very it's entirely reasonable that it wouldn't have been... And they weren't describing the devil by accident, like they'd miss... No, no, they, they were talking about the climax of the film, I believe. That's interesting, isn't it? That it's, it's created... Her response is so amazing. Yes. Again, 21. But her response is so amazing that she recoils that way. She just looks so beyond mortified into the sexy goth cop. Yeah. You know, yeah. with the Antichrist symbol hanging above it. Yes, uh, because kitsch mobile. we suddenly go into Adam's Family Values style. Um, <laughs> this is definitely evil, um, and the whole thing. It is. It's 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 a very domestic evil, isn't it? It's a yes. very 
relax the whole vibe of the party yes. is the, and the and manipulation then, again Go and on. you've got the the japanese tourists there as well with the taking the photographs you know which is is a joke right it's yeah. a it's a very banal gathering of evildoers and again they're all very they're all very elderly as well they are i don't know i didn't fully understand who that visiting man was that asks is she the mother because it's not the japanese tourist it's another man well my my feeling with that is it is just emphasizing the community yes that the witches have okay because i went for nativity Oh, certainly that too. Yeah. Yes, it's a, the dark nativity. So you've got travellers, wise travellers exactly from far that. away. Yes, yes. Who've come to, to give With gifts, gifts and things. Absolutely. But yes, I suppose it's both, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, family scene, it's the yeah. dark nativity, as you say, or the black nativity or the antichrist nativity. There's a weeping Mary who's, yes. you know, she does this. The, in fact, I won't cut to that just yet. But, like, it is a terrifying nativity scene. Mm. And... You know, she's been served Lipton's tea. There's nothing in it. It's just Lipton's tea. Yeah. You know, and she's sat with a tea, like, not quite... None of it quite seems real, either, to her. Mm. Well, I mean, the caveat, of course, it might not be. This might be the moment in which she's actually sort of lost uh, touch with reality, right? Yeah. To get there, she goes through that portal. She goes through the back of the wardrobe in a very sort of Narnia way, except it's the anti... It's evil Narnia. (laughs) Uh. Yeah, evil Narnia and time passes exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yes. uh, And yes, in in Narnia it's never Christmas, but here, of course, it is evil. It's the birth of the (gasps) Antichrist. Yes, and I Uh. forgot. I forgot about they promised me you wouldn't be hurt. Yeah. It's Guy and the spitting in the face. Obviously, it would be like an actual nutting Mm. from me, but like... But yes, also, as soon as she says... What have you done to its eyes? The yeah. camera jerks over to where Guy is hiding at the back. Where he just hides. You don't even see his you eyes. You don't and see it's him. Lovely. No, and then, but then she reaffirms Guy's eyes are normal. Yes, yes, right? yes. And then Satan is his father. Yes. But it's the illusion of yes. Satan and Guy, and the fact that after looking at the child, she still she thinks, "What have you done?" She's because Guy's eyes are normal. Is our yeah. first thought. She is still you have mutilated my baby. Imagining yes. that this is her and Guy's child. So yes. there must be something we don't see his face. No. But I wonder if it has something of the look of Guy about it. Oh, chilling. Oh yes. Um, yes, that very last moment that I wanted to look at there, just because we're basically at the end, um, is the as the carvings. It's Rosemary looking into the baby's eyes. Or looking at the baby with a sing like a single tear poised on the edge of each. It looks like it's been put on with a dropper, but a yeah, single wait, tear man. on the edge of each eye, um, looking like the weeping sculptures of Mary, um, and sort of beginning to navigate. Having been manipulated once again into um, motherhood of this creature, you know she's now yes. weighing up. How this oh, this creature called Adrian as well. Like uh, all yeah. the way through, she's been calling it Little Andy. Little Andy. Little Sally. Uh, Landy or Sally. Uh, but of course, that doesn't take. She doesn't get to name this oh. child. But Ooh. but yes, but perhaps she is. Perhaps she can be in some way its mother, mm. his mother. Is it a, is it a hopeful ending? <laughs> um, is it a redemptive ending? No. No. No, there's nothing. There's no redeemable feature um, to any of it, in my opinion. I feel like she is condemned as soon as she walks into that building um that building essentially could be limbo um it's never question you know the estate agent may well have picked her out the estate agent turns up for some reason at the um 
death of Terry. Yes, he's he on the, he's just to happens be to be there. Yes. Yeah, which implies that they're all connected. But that would also imply that he knew why that cabinet was there and wouldn't have responded that way. Yes, but it's the sort of thing that it, it, it's conspiratorial thinking, yes, right? You start to you start to look for these connections, and you start to look for people being out to get Rosemary. Yes, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But no, I don't think. You know, she is, in Catholic sense, um, tainted forever. Like beyond, she is mm. the ultimate um, sacrifice. Uh, they even ate lamb. You know, at one point. Oh, yes, we're interesting because um, Mrs. Castavet says, you know, Satan, he chose you of all women. But uh, we were talking about this off mic. And I don't think that's true, uh, at least in the the narrative here, because we've got Terry earlier, who was clearly being, well, I believe the implication for me is that she's being prepped for something similar. And um, at the very, very beginning, uh, Hutch tells them about the dead baby found in the in the basement in '59, yes. which is five, six, seven years earlier than the yeah. Thing. And so of course, how it, long have they been? Exactly. I mean, it may be unrelated, but it's one of those things about the house that just is is put there in the back of your brain. Yeah. And you think, well, could this have been an earlier attempt? Is that us? Probably. I think that's cool. I think that's everything. Thanks so much for listening. Yes. And sticking around. Um, So, if you would like to um, get updates and like to know when um, the next episode is coming out, you can find us on the gram, Instagram, at uh, Haunted Picture Palace. Haunted underscore picture underscore palace. Um, And we are contactable. We are contactable, yes, hauntedpicturepalace at gmail.com. Please email us, uh, please. Um, <laughs> and um, you can also, you know, our, our episodes will be up well, wherever you got this. If you're listening to this, you must be able to find us. But um, Tell ha- your friends. But tell your friends, hauntedpicturepalace.podbean.com. Um, and for next time, because this, as I say, we aim to do this weekly. So next week we'll be looking at Pender's Fen. Ah, yes. Pender's Fen television movie. Um, if you can get hold of it, uh... It, uh, yes, it's been it's it was recently restored by the BFI. It's on. Uh, it's available from them on Blu-ray and DVD. Yeah. So um, if you want to uh, watch that and then listen to our commentary, that's great. If you just love the sound of our voices, then listen to us next week anyway. Even if you don't care what we're saying, have a magical evening and um, bye. Oh, oh, bye. Oh, bye. bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.